Hello, Cine family. Uh, it's so exciting to be back here again for another installment of the Greg Proops Film Club. Um, we've been showing, a, or, or rather podcasting out the uh, um, Greg Proops Film Club as part of my regular podcast, uh, the award-seeking Smartest Man in the World podcast. And uh, we're in our third award-seeking year. That was a weird flash of light, right? Okay. Um, and uh, yeah, sometimes the synapses, you know, kaboom! Uh, it's all over the yard. And uh, we should start recording now, right? Yeah, that's fine. Okay, good. Because I may not do an intro or anything. I don't uh, have a plan as such. In any case, uh, um, that was that. And uh, so uh, we, uh, we had a. Uh, was I talking about the last one we're going to show or the next one? What was it? I hadn't done either. So we hadn't established enough groundwork to actually see where the thrust of this solo conversation was going. And then I pulled up lame in the middle of a thought. And we seem to have deployed to the left. Here's the final phase of that thought. Uh, brilliantly concocted and, and absolutely saving the previous minute and a half. I was in a boat with only the first mate and uh, one of the crew a small cabin boy named Emil. <laughs> and Emil said to me, uh, Poos, uh, Misa, uh, you put Film Club out, but sometime Film Club not, you put Smartest Man. And I said, what, where are you from, Emil? And he went, racist characterization land. His point was that it was confusing because I put out the Greg Proops Film Club as part of the smartest men in the world. There are people out there who don't like movies that much. Not you people. You people are sick and sick with it. Uh, that's why you're here on uh, November 11th, Armistice Day, Veterans Day here in the United States. A Monday night, uh, people are out in numbers to see La Femme Nikita, uh, Luc Besson's timeless 1990 <laughs> classic. Thank you. I helped make it. Um, you people are sick with it, but some people write me after we put out a film club and are like, I don't like this one. How come you don't just do the thing I like? And because uh, that's the tone. I, you know, I can read an email and I get inference. Or is it animation? In any case, I go, uh, as, uh, my response is always uh, the same. It never varies. Um, the show's free. Now you are welcome to open wide and take a long, cool draft from the pool of wit that's flowing out of the cistern in my fontanelle. <laughs> this invitation is extended cordially. Uh, and you may eat pink seasoned fucking biscuits while you do it. Uh, so in any case, we're going to launch, I think. Um, uh, sit. Sit anywhere. Well, there's tape on the, some of the seats. That's because it's night of the generals here at the Cine family. <laughs> Located in the tennis shoe and baseball hat district of Los Angeles, where teenagers line up by the hour to out-hip you with their youngness and wearing baseball hats and tennis shoes that they do not bend the cap. They wear it flat, like they're in a Peanuts cartoon from 1964. The entire street looks like Charlie Brown's Nine. It's pretty freaky. And then there's the occasional, like, early 70s roller girl look going on as well. And those are the guys. Good night, everybody.
So my intention is this, um, to split the two podcasts into two separate but equal duchies. One, uh, appealing more to your cineast, uh, to your cinephiles, to your people who will spend their nights in a darkened room uh, roaming the gloaming uh, of celluloid glory. And hoping that, yeah, exactly, that the same magic hits you that hit you the first time you went to the pictures. If you're in your 30s, the first time you saw, I don't know, what kind of nonsensical bullshit rang you, you probably saw fucking Ferris Bueller, man, and lost your shit! Um, I, of course, grew up in the 60s, so my pedigree is so much cooler than yours. It's not even, <laughs> seriously, it's not even worth discussing. Let's just, the premise of the Greg Proops Film Club has been since the get-go is that I have better taste in film than you do. I was the film critic on my newspaper, uh, my high school newspaper, and that was in the middle of the 70s. Did you hear which decade it was? Yeah. So, yeah. Little Miss Sunshine wasn't nominated for an Oscar when I was little. Ellen Burstyn was, okay? So suck my feminine man bag. So I'm, I intend on launching two uh, as I say, separate duchies. One, North Carolina, the other, South Dakota. And uh, one will be the Greg Poop Smartest Man in the World podcast that you've come to, that several of you here are listeners of. I find that at the Senate family, there's very little crossover. Uh, the people that like my podcast are um, smarmy, uh, elitist, liberal, uh, poor people. And... The, some with scruffy noses. You know what I'm saying? Gee, mister, them podcasts sure I'm good. I'm glad, I, I'm glad it's free. <laughs> Otherwise, I couldn't afford it, not at all. Tilly, they come from the Dust Bowl in the 30s and shit. And then there's the listeners to this show, who are people that are willing to, if you know the premise of the show, welcome aboard. Uh, what you do here is you Netflix or steal or however you can get a copy of La Femme Nikita because that's what we're showing tonight. And then on my queue, f- start the fucker. And then when it's over, we're going to pick it up and chat about it at the end. That's the whole premise of the show. We talk about the movie for a little while. We show a movie. And then you're supposed to just sort of watch along. Um, innovative? Yeah, I grant you. Uh, <laughs> Almost amazingly, a combination of a radio show and a movie, neither of which work with each other because I'm not providing one without the other. Uh, and don't even go into the logical conundrum that is the cul-de-sac that that just fucking emanated from. It's like a Luc Besson movie. Um, ex- except Luc Besson movies are stylish and move right along. Um, whatever. I hate it when I heckle myself. Fuck you, Greg. Fucking sissy. Who are you calling a sissy? Your show eats. Um, if you want to write us, it's fan mail for Greg. The, 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 the email will remain the same on both podcasts so as to avoid confusion. What are you going to launch it, Greg? You've talked a lot about it so far, but you really haven't reached a, an island where we can plant our flag, our podcast flag, and dwell with you and your Dutch cohorts as you make ceaseless war against the Spanish. Um, uh, soon. <laughs> So here's your next step. Soon. Okay, when? Um, rent an apartment that's off my dick is when. <laughs> Probably November, I'm guessing. I'm going to go big launch, big Twitter. Like Twitter, I'm going to go IPO. Uh, I'm joking, of course. Thank you. One person slapped their thigh. Everyone else went, what does that mean and why are you doing it? Uh, Fanmailforgreg at gmail.com if you want to write a question. We're not going to answer questions on this show. But if you want to, smartest at a special thing.com. Uh, we have t-shirts. Uh, there's no film club ones yet because the logo hasn't been d- devised in the Proops Laboratories, but there's uh, Kittens McTavish ones coming and, and whatnot. 
Who's Kitten McTavish? <laughs> cool it. Uh, we'll be at Laughing Bo- oh, Calgary. Well, no one will be there, but I'll tell you guys anyway in case anyone's going to Alberta this weekend. <laughs> Maybe there's an Alberta film festival going on and one of you is curating. Um, at the Laugh Shop in Calgary this weekend, the 14th through the 16th. Uh, the 21st, we'll be doing the Proopcast in uh, Boston at Laugh Boston. Um, Brooklyn at the Bell House on the 30th of November. Uh, on the 2nd of December, we'll be at the Soho Theater as well as the 8th of December. That's in London, California. Um, that's in London, England. And then the 9th, we'll be at the Sugar Club in Dublin. And the 10th of December, we'll be at the Cypress Club in Cork, Ireland. So come and visit us in England and Ireland if you're listening out there in this place before then. Uh, also, we'll be at New Year's at the Punchline in San Francisco all that week doing a podcast as well. Is there a film club then? No. Is there going to be one in, uh, uh, in December? Probably here at the Cine Family. We haven't picked a date yet, nor have we picked a film. But I'd like to take an, inform- uh, an informal poll or an informal foal, if you will. What I'd like to do is have an informal foal fall misshapen onto the deck from its mare right in front of you. This, this foal will be a very weak idea that I'm formulating as we go here. And after I lick the placenta off it and it gets to its wobbly fucking legs, shivering with cold in this stable of a theater here on Fairfax Avenue in the, in the uh, Sugar Pants District. Um, this is what happens when body starts laughing and doing the wild thing. But this is what happens uh, as I'm going to uh, take an informal poll. Um, my wife, who has picked the last six movies, all of which have been stunningly successful. We did Eyes Without a Face before that. Uh, thank you. Uh, um, Cock, what was the one by uh, Alain Delon? Le Samurai. And then uh, we're on a French bag, you may have noticed. The last three pictures are French. But before that, the pictures were Annie Hall taking a poem, one, two, three, and, um, and Dog Day. So we were on a 70s jag for a while there. She picked all those. I sign off on them. I'm not completely salamander here. I have fucking moves. I, I, picked, I, I picked the big sleep and lifeboat. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Gilda, I picked Gilda too. Yeah. Oh, fresh, Greg. When were those movies made? Um, it's not about the length, as you know. Uh, so somewhere later in the month, we'll split them up and we'll do them. And we have about six or seven in the can. Loads and loads of these, uh, uh, and, uh, including lifeboat. And uh, I made a Buckaroo Bonsai one, but I don't think it's ever going to see the light of day. Why, Greg? Why? It's really blowy. Uh, blurrier than tonight? Uh, yeah. Uh, let's talk a little bit about this picture. First of all, let's talk a little bit about Luc Besson. Luc Besson uh, started as kind of a, you know, all right. I didn't know this until today, but in a way it explains everything. His parents were scuba dive instructors at Club Med. <laughs> He grew up all around the Mediterranean in the sea as a teenager in a club med being his parents were the ones who gave the tourists who were wearing beads, I assume, for their drinks or whatever fucking club med has. That will give you his outlook on life. Here is a quote from him that I think will explain a great deal about. And I'm not damning Luc Besson. Luc Besson has not only had a, a, a wild career as a director, he's been unbelievably successful as a producer and has like three franchises in play. Um, where is it? God damn it. It's the greatest quote. And I'm, I'm, here it is. Luc Besson. I was never polluted by the world of cinema. I'm going to read this just to make it better. 
My cod French accent will be Christo Flambert in the movie Subway. Thank you. I was never polluted by the world of cinema. I didn't even have a TV until I was 16. My expression is a reflection of the world I have seen. And in that world, everyone was barefoot in bathing suits, following the order of the sea, the natural order of sunrise and sunset. I never went to the Cinematheque. I didn't know much about the masters of world cinema. Yeah, you were... Take that light off of me. You are not following the natural order of the sunrise and the sunset. That is an unnatural light in a darkened night in a darkened room that I do not control. I will marry every woman that is the lead in my movie. If I do not marry her, I will nail her at least. I will put peroxide in my hair and be a little bit chubby. I'll bitch at the press all the time and never do interviews. I speak English and I live in Hollywood, but this is how I do. Here's his franchises. Transporter. We're on to Transporter 6, which has been announced for production. Taken, the Taken franchise with Liam Neeson. We're on to Taken 3. Um, Arthur. There's a series called Arthur. There's one called Arthur with the thing, and then another one called Arthur with a bunch of things, and then another one called Arthur with the other thing. Uh, Lou Reed is in two of them. Lou Reed had just passed away, and we celebrated in the last podcast. Thank you. Uh, Lou Reed, of course, was in several movies and, uh, and provided the soundtrack for uh, d- dozens of others, as well as providing the entire soundtrack for m- several concert movies. Um, Lou Reed, the immortal rock star, eternal artist, bohemian, and uh, celebrant of uh, the underside of America, as much as William Burroughs or, any, or Nelson Algren or anyone you could ever think of, uh, really, who does it better than Lou Reed, um, is the voice of Emperor Maltazard in Arthur and the Great Adventure, and Arthur III as well. I couldn't find a sample of it today. I went through, I watched a bunch of clips, I tried to find it, there's not like a free one, but here's my impression of him as the emperor. Hey, what the fuck? <laughs> Take a look around, baby. I have been brought before you because you are uh, the king of all of Maltazard. I'm the emperor, man. I said, hey, Arthur. And the lizard girls go. Do, 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 do. All right. Ha. Luke Besson has his hand in all those franchises. He has 54 things that he's produced. Uh, he said he was going to quit after he made 10 movies, but he didn't. And this is my favorite review of the movie that I found. I was combing uh, the interweb today. Um, and it's by Jonathan Rosenbaum of the Chicago Reader. He reviewed La Femme Nikita, and it led me to another review of The Long Kiss Goodnight, which is another awesome uh, Lady Kick-Ass movie. For those of you who don't know what La Femme Nikita is, it's not the original Lady Kick-Ass movie. Uh, it's preceded, of course, by... Excuse me, Sigourney Weaver and the awesome alien 
series. Yeah. Lieutenant Ripley. Or she's in the American ones, Lieutenant Ripley. I think it's to the third or fourth one where she's Lieutenant Ripley. And um, in any case, uh, she invented kicking ass, but uh, she doesn't get to wear high heels. And uh, Anne Perriot does in this one, and that's the big difference in this movie. This is a movie about um, a lot of groovy things, but I want to read you these two reviews here before we do it so that I don't poison you. La Femme Nikita, the talentless but irrepressibly trendy Luc Besson. <laughs> that's the opener. Uh, hell yeah! If I was Eddie Vedder, the critic, I'd go, hell yeah! Subway, the big blue, dreamed up this idiotic story that seems vaguely inspired by Kubrick, not Anthony Burgess, a clockwork orange. Uh, I won't read the whole thing here, but here's, here's a good part. Uh, around long enough to give her lessons, who shepherds the young woman through, after she's been released into settle, uh, sends her on a murderous mission. Preferably in, de- in decorous surroundings, go figure. Next review, The Long Kiss Goodnight, which came out uh, six years after, in, in 1996. And has its flaws. Thank you. I'm understating it a little. It does, it's not a great action movie, but parts of it are amazing. Gina Davis is awesome as an action star. Brian Cox as the hardened FBI guy. Sit down! Um, I'm joking. I'm joking. Take your time. There's loads of seats. It's too close up front. You're you're right. Also, this table will be removed soon, so you would have been able to see the screen. Don't pretend that you can't hear me, and don't pretend that you have a Klingon cloaking shield and shit. Okay? Hipsters, I'm doing a fucking show up here. This is the main event. I'll talk through the whole fucking movie. I'll pull the plug on the movie. How's that fucking grab you? I'll do shadow puppets the whole fucking time. You haven't been here long enough to know how big my ego is. Settle. <laughs> the Long Kiss Goodnight is 1996. It has some terrible shit. I'm going to make the what the, the bitch gets to die and shit. You know, it's got that kind of overwrought shit in it. But Gina Davis has one of the great lines in movie history. The little girl, her daughter says, who, who, by the way, and I'm never, I don't want to be awful about this, and I'm not going to overstate the case, but if you've seen The Long Kiss Goodnight with Gina Davis and Samuel L. Jackson, you'll know that the daughter in the movie is one of the most unappealing children that ever appeared in an action film. <laughs> And uh, forgive me for saying this, not that savable. Here's the deal. I'm sure she's a lovely person, and I don't want to insult her in any way. But in that movie, she's kind of like this the whole time. And you're like, then she does the brave face scene and shit. But the best part is they're about to die in a meat locker, being frozen in by uh, the bad guys. And the daughter goes, are we going to die, mommy? And she goes, no, honey, they are. Should we get a dog? That's a great part. And Gina Davis comes up and she's been dunked underwater in a water wheel. That'll give you an idea of how Baroque this movie is. This is when one of the great movies, and Luc Besson is one of the masters of this genre, where your wife's in it and you torture her in her underwear for a lot of the movie. Uh, John Carpenter, Adrian Barbeau, was it? Uh, uh, I'm missing a couple from the 70s. There's a few paired up where... Uh, Nancy Allen and Brian De Palma you're going to get down to your underwear and I'm going to torture you and we're going to go home and fucking have dinner <laughs> and tuck the kids in and take the dog for a walk and talk about shit and then and the next day you're going to get down to your underwear and a guy's going to put barbed wire in you uh, it's a freaky thing I don't know if anyone ever saw the Madonna movie uh, swept away but how they were able 
to converse after watching the dailies is a, that's the fucking mystery. You talk about eternal mysteries and shit and fucking the deadliest catch. She was the deadliest catch in that fucking movie. Would you as a person, never mind being a man, would you as a person in a relationship be able to show her that movie if she was your fucking betrothed beloved other? Would you be able to fucking scream that and go like, fucking love you? Madge, I fucking love you. Look what I did. Look how great you look. Look how funny it is. Look how fucking keenly observed it is. Fucking satire that. Ah! Wow. The long kiss goodnight's not that freaky. But Gina Davis is being tortured in her underwear. And uh, they bring her up and she goes, you're going to die screaming and I'm going to watch. And she says it to a man. And then 20 seconds later, she fucking produces a gun out of nowhere and puts fucking mini nasty slugs into him. And he deserves it because he's being a cock. And that part of the movie is, yeah. Brian Cox. Uh, here's the review of The Long Kiss Goodnight. Same reviewer, Jonathan Rosenbaum, Chicago Reader. Gina Davis and her director husband, Rennie Harlan, crawled out from under the rubble of Cutthroat Island. <laughs> I'll stand by Cutthroat Island. I love... <laughs> Fuck you! <laughs> Fuck you! <laughs> <laughs> Cutthroat Island's fun. <laughs> crawled out from... It's no swashbuckler. And it's no... Pirates by Polanski. If you put Pirates by Polanski up against Cutthroat Island, and Cutthroat Island is the fucking sit- Captain Blood. <laughs> Don't fucking... Uh, was at the time reported to be the costliest flop in Hollywood history to make an even nastier action thriller about a housewife of amnesia who discovers she's actually a trained government assassin and apparently takes her orders directly from La Femme Nikita. <laughs> That was so random. I thought that was hilarious. Uh, Fantastic. Anne Perio. Anne Perio's IMDb, I think, was written by someone that knows her or someone that worships her. Because I'd like to... Anne Perio is marvelous in this movie. She was married to Luc Besson. They had children and shit. He was married to every woman that was in all of his movies. Uh, Mila Jovanovich and um, uh, the other actress, the brunette lady whose name escapes me but didn't star as much. And I love Joan of Arc, so there, fuck you. I'm not shitting over Luke Besson every moment of the night. I have a subway story to tell, and then we're going to go. Anne Perriot was born in Paris, uh, and even though all her travels, is still a Paris resident. Blah, 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 blah. And this is the best part. Uh, she played la jeune fille avec un petit chat, the girl with the kitten. That's very meaningful to the listeners of the podcast. As kittens, McTavish is our mascot. Finally, you said something I'm interested in. Uh, yes. If we don't show Thumbelina or the Aristocats, this fucking Kittens McTavish has no interest in cinema. I love the man who loved cat dancing. Don't be a dick. You're just being kind of douchey now. Her first real role was blah, 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 blah. Eight other films. Uh, her breakout performance in the signature role is Nikita in the wildly popular La Femme Nikita, which spun off the American remake Point of No Return. I know. That one's, a, you know... If you didn't know about this movie, you might be able to enjoy that movie. <laughs> right? If you'd had your memory expunged by a secret agency who'd taken you into their confidence because of some shit you'd pulled, and it was either that or fucking face prison or death. Yeah, think about that alternative. <laughs> then you might have liked... Po- 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 point of... <laughs> pointless. 
Uh, and then there was the USA Network's La Femme Nikita with Peter Wilson. But then there was one subsequent to that about three years ago. And I don't know which network is on. Was it on CBS? That one was called Nikita too. That one, she's Asian and she comes back to exact her uh, fatal toll. This is my favorite part. Uh, let's see. Anne, uh, indeed the character Nikita is nothing like her. Anne hates guns and even said of Nikita, for a while, she was in me like a demon. That's kind of hot, actually. Oh, there was another line, and I wish it was there. Mm. I'll remember it, though, because I read it today. In the uh, bio, it says, Anne likes to spend her time doing simple things, like dancing or talking to friends. (laughs) Greg likes to spend his time doing simple things, like drinking or abusing people he knows. If a loved one's hurt or someone shrinks away because they've been gravely insulted, Greg's ego grows a little bit. <laughs> then he's happy again. Anne Pariot presses flowers into a book each day and memorizes the names of her children by doing them like a catechism over and over as she gazes at a blue lake outside her window. Greg takes codeine like it's going out of style because <laughs> his neck hurts. My wife and I, in 19-whatever year it came out, Subway, his second picture, I think, uh, Luke Besson, we're back on. San Francisco, there was a movie theater called The, um, there was a movie theater called The um, uh, Four Star, Five Star. Excuse me, I've got them both wrong. The Lumiere. The Lumiere. The Four Star was on uh, at the end of Clement Street, and uh, I don't think there was a Five Star. Um, but The Lumiere was, uh, it might still be there, no. Uh, on California, uh, right above Polk Street, or as we called it, uh, I worked at a tchotchke store on Polk Street, and as we called it when we worked at the tchotchke store, um, Poke My Butt Street. Because it was the heart of the gay San Francisco for a, a long, long time. And uh, in any case, there was a, a Vietnamese restaurant called Five Spice Chicken. That's what I was confusing the movie theater with. Next door was Five Spice Chicken. So you inevitably ate at Five Spice Vietnamese Chicken, and they only had one dish Five Spice Chicken. I'm not kidding. They, I mean, you could get a roll and whatnot, and there was soup and rice and shit like that, but I don't think there was anything else. I don't think there was a beef. It was called Five Spice Chicken, and you got Five Spice Chicken by God. And it was delicious. They cooked the devil out of it. And um, pretty cheap for those days. This is the 80s. And so next door was the Lumiere, and the Lumiere showed art films. Uh, around the corner from it was the Royal, and the Royal showed uh, Flashdance, which I saw there, and uh, Mad Max. Um, and uh, No, not Mad Max, uh, R- Road Warrior. You told me if I'd... What did you say? If you let the guests let me know? I reckon you got a bag and... Fucking road warrior. We should show that for Christmas. You know, I was thinking about... The vote I was going to give you was this earlier. Remember I said we're going to vote? Here's the f- two films we're thinking about. Jennifer's Choice is this. What's Up, Doc? by Peter Bogdanovich. My choice, Help by The Beatles. All right, it was an unfair vote. I grant you that. I had my, it was like a beer hall putsch. <laughs> so we were out, uh, me and my wife, uh, Jennifer, and uh, um, Mike McShane, who you may know uh, as a TV comedian and uh, film comedian of some renown, very funny man. He's in England currently on a very unsuccessful improvisational tour. And... <laughs> Uh, 
Try Prooplets. They're bitter. <laughs> Available at the snack bar. While watching La Femme Nikita and listening to the Greg Proops Film Club, why didn't enjoy a box of bitter Prooplets? They set the stage for other sweeter candy later in the show. So we had mushrooms. I don't know who had them. I can't remember that salient detail at this late date. Suffice to say, a plastic bag was produced on the street. I think McShane might have had them, or did you have them? Yeah. All right, Jennifer had them. I think they came out of a refrigerator or something. In any case, we went out of a Sunday night, and this is the, almost the same, it's the same story with every story I tell about a picture on this uh, podcast, uh, is that we went to the Sunday night 10 o'clock show. Why was it always that one? Is that, is that like you could barely manage your life so hard when you're in your 20s that that's the only movie you can make it to is the last one of the week because you have nothing to do tomorrow morning anyway except for look around your room and as Susan Healy once so brilliantly said, think to yourself, what can I sell? Your first thought of each day is what can I sell? And uh, thank you, four people in the room, everyone else. Greg, we grew up in the cosseted confines of Beverly Hills. And what we'd like you to know is that we'd like the picture to start real fucking soon. Your story about the Five Spice Chicken and how you saw Subway that time is dragging on to eternity. Guess what? It's my show. And the movie starts when I say it fucking starts, all right? There's a lot of people out there listening right now, the poor, the afflicted. There's some people, yeah, think about them. There's people who have features like undersea creatures through no fault of their own, only because they've been beguiled and bedazzled and fucking enchanted by wizardry. And you would deny them the chance to listen to my fucking lengthy stories peppered with ribaldry and wit as Hadrian described it at the beginning. Oh, I guess you'd go there. Oh, ye judgmental fucking cinephile fucking family people, whoever. Yeah, you don't put the fucking family in family tonight, do you? Unless it's Christmas morning and we're all drunk and shit like usual. What was Dana Gould's line? Your father doesn't touch me anymore. And then <laughs> mine was, uh, you put cinnamon in it. You put cinnamon in it. Christmas. There's no batteries. There's no batteries! Okay. All right. Christmas is always happy. We showed, we showed Scrooge last year. Not, not the uh, Bill Murray one, but the Albert Finney musical, which I enjoyed. But evidently, as I've said some... Thank you. I'm gay and make no case. I'm not gay. Wait a minute. I'm not gay. But having just blurted out I'm gay, it really doesn't matter what I say after that. My wife is like, this is the worst podcast you've ever done. Tell the fucking story, okay? Only I would get too high to say I'm not gay and make no case for it. Oh, well. Emeril Lagos can make one. Why can't I make a roux? <laughs> Ruin it right now. <laughs> Cock. Anyways, we're standing outside the theater, me and Mike and uh, my girlfriend at the time. And uh, <laughs> we take all the mushrooms in the bag. And um, it's late. It's late. 
It's not, you know, mushrooms, I, I believe, I believe uh, two things. One, children of the future. And two, uh, that mushrooms are a great daytime drug. I mean, call me, call me Gidget, call me Kooky, call me Patty Duke's cousin, but I fucking believe that. Uh, I think pot's a good daytime drug. I think drinking, not so much for me. I, there's going to be a nap, and I'm going to act like Ed McMahon at one point. <laughs> but I always found, if you had a day off, and I mean a day off, I mean a day off. I don't mean three hours off. I mean, you don't have to do anything till like, Wednesday, Thursday, maybe. <laughs> that taking them, at, you know, after breakfast, noonish, oneish, you know, after lunch, maybe, Sammy, why not? A little, some Ritz crackers. I don't know what you eat for lunch. I, I usually eat beef bourguignon uh, and uh, a dry claret. Um, at my house, there's a lot of neeps and tatties. We have a lot of chafing dishes at my house because my thighs are perpetually being rubbed raw. So we take the mushrooms. And you know how mushrooms are uh, if you're cool. Uh, uh, if you're listening and you're not cool, I'll explain it to you. About 20 minutes go by and you go, I didn't feel anything. And then 27 minutes go by and you go, Emperor, stop those ducks. And then three more minutes go by and you go, I never thought I could... I could hear chocolate. I never thought I could hear chocolate, but I can. And then turn up the radio, turn up the radio, turn up the radio. There's nothing on. It's static. Listen real hard. There's all kinds of meaning in there. Fucking that tastes like purple. Then 20 minutes later... Then 30 minutes later. <laughs> Barbara's dry sand. <laughs> it can happen. So we went into Lupasan Subway. Here's the plot of Subway. A guy appears in the subway. He's wearing a tuxedo and dyed blonde hair. His name's Christophe Lambert. He meets Isabella Johnny or Isabelle Huppert or both of them. Um, there's a band in the subway that plays, there's buskers. He wants to form a band somehow. Uh, she has a gun. She has a rich boyfriend. The three lines that I took away from the movie, and Luc Besson wrote these lines because he wrote almost everything that he ever made, is uh, she meets her rich boyfriend, and she's wearing a ball gown, and she says, or a, you know, a frou-frou 80s thing with you know, lots of hair and earrings and, and a collar that goes up like this, and you know, Matt Broderick's on you, and it's the 80s, so there's, uh, uh, it's Molly Ringwald's hanging off of you as an adornment. Uh, she goes, uh, oh, it's a French film, so it's Mew Mew. Uh, she goes, uh, you are smothering me, comma, in the titles, Mr. Moneybags. Later in the movie, she has a gun, and Christophe Lambert, someone says, what about the gun she's got? And Christophe Lambert goes, she is Cinderella, and it is her magic wand. <laughs> then when the band forms at the end of the movie, oh, yeah, there's a happy ending. Uh, spoiler alert. 
at the end of the movie, uh, um, the band forms and they sing a song that goes, guns don't kill people, people kill people. This movie broke 15 times while we were watching it at the Lumiere. It was the weakest print ever sent over by some crankhead who fucking chopped it up and shit. So it snapped like 80 times. On the 80th time, we were at this point hysterical with psychedelia. We were seeing, we didn't care what was happening in the movie. Every line was a golden classic. That's why I remember three lines from a movie I saw once in 1985 on drugs. I've never seen it again, ever. I remember the lines verbatim, okay? from that psychedelic experience where I was inside Christophe Lambert and I don't know how that happened and no one should ever have that happen and I should frankly be able to get war reparations from Luc Besson for that. If you saw The Sicilian, you know what I'm talking about. The point is this. Uh, we're so fucking high uh, that the movie keeps breaking. After the second break, the dude comes out and goes, um, the film... <laughs> And like, you can either have your money back or, and it's like, dude, it's 1115 on Sunday. No one is leaving. This is San Francisco. Everyone else in this theater is high on something else. Either they're coked out of their mind or they're drunk or they're high, or they just don't want to be away from other people. (laughs) Whatever the agenda is in San Francisco, I just want to sit near people in coats. You know, it's San Francisco. You don't know what's fucking going on. It's not always wholesome. The motives. Especially in a movie theater on Sunday night at 11 o'clock. So the film breaks and we're tweaking at this point. My wife and I are pounding each other. You know, like, oh my God, this movie. It's the, not only is this the most facile piece of French new wave reductive bullshit that's ever been foisted on an 80s public with fucking torn hose and fingerless gloves and fucking guns and peroxided hair and fucking shitty new wave music. Not only that, um, it's breaking. And... Therefore, taking an extra day to show. Finally, a gay guy gets up in the front row with a camera and goes, I want to take a picture of everybody here. I want to remember this night forever. (laughs) I give you La Femme Nikita, ladies and gentlemen. Hello? There we are. Can you hear me? Super awesome. Wow. That was a goodie, right? That one holds up. What year is it, like 90? It seems like a straight-up 80s movie, right? The lighting and the hair and everything. When she walks in in the Audrey Hepburn hat and the polka dot skirt. Yeah, yeah fuck yeah, fuck yeah. Um, and then in the end, right, uh, it's all about manipulation. She's a child of the streets and she has to fight her way out of poverty and that's why she's a junkie and she's running with a gang that knocks over pharmacies and her boyfriend's greasy and repetitive. And uh, uh, the other guy in the gang doesn't wear a shirt and, z- and z- z- zeeps things, is it? Zaps things with his axe and whatnot. Yeah, there's always the psycho asshole uh, in your gang. And uh, uh, yeah, and that's why. Because men oppress her, right? And they force her to do things. Uh, the judge is mean to her. Uh, the fucking head of the Secret Service because I don't like you. I don't let you die. And then everyone else is in love with her. And uh, then at the end, because of their hideous manipulation, she has to disappear into the fucking ether. And uh, only her fucking master control dude knew exactly what the note said when she didn't fucking say. Think about it. Now that we're done thinking about it, let's get into Luc Besson. Uh, that one's a goodie. I realize I ended on, uh, by ripping on Subway, but I think this one is, if he has a masterpiece, although the sequel to this is, of course, the next movie, which is The Professional or Leon uh, with, uh, yeah, with Jean Reno, who's immortal beyond uh, 
any comprehension. Um, sleepy eyes don't begin to describe Jean Renault. It looks like he never stopped drinking coffee, smoking, drinking wine, or lounging for a moment of his life. Um, when he shoots people rather than say hello, and that's your character description, because he does a bunch in the movie, and it's fucking bitching beyond all chickens. Uh, I love that part, and I think we all do. Having Jean Moreau come in for the two scenes, and then stroking her face till she smiles, and then we get a five-minute mime sequence of her attempting a smile while her eyes are trying. Uh, that is good fucking shallow filmmaking, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> is what that is. Uh, every single set piece is uh, um, so delicious. The one in the restaurant, I think, is my favorite one, uh, because... Um, at one point, she's in a cocktail dress with shit flying everywhere. And while the gangsters are firing endless rounds across the room, dried spaghetti falls on her head <laughs> in a very dangerous and sexy way. And, uh, yeah, that's what cinema is, you guys. <laughs> Class is almost over. Uh, does anyone want to talk about any of it? Because otherwise we'll fuck off into the night. But if you want to have a couple of quick chats, we'll... Yeah, here's someone down here. Hey, bro, hey. What, what's your name? Uh, Sam. Hey, man. Hey. Oh, you gave me that lovely ring the other night, didn't you? Yeah. Thank you, man. I appreciate that. Uh, you look baked, tuna head. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I was too. I think this movie requires bakage. By the way, if you're listening now in retrospect, go get high and then watch it again. <laughs> The music, the 80s were full of so many cataclysmic echoes. Yes. Could you recast the American remake of this movie circa 1939? Would I recast? Could you recast this, this movie, the American remake of this movie in 1939? I think I could, yes. Uh, uh, um, what was her name? She was in uh, My Man Godfrey. Uh, Carol Lombard. Carol Lombard. As fucking La Femme Nikita, baby. Because um, she is the greatest athlete, I think, in Hollywood in those years. And uh, I, don't th I think she could have dived through a dining room garbage chute pretty quickly. Uh, uh, as the guy, uh, as the, the, her master. Um, well, because it's the 30s, I think you're going to have to go English. Uh, Claude Rains. Yeah. And uh, as the, uh, the weak-ass husband... Um, it would have to be someone cute but adorable. So I'd say Joel McRae. Um, so there you are. Uh, that, that's how I would do that. Oh, and then the older woman. Uh, the older woman would be, uh, oh gosh, what, not, what, did you, what did you say, 1939? Well, how about just for sentimental sake, Billy Burke? Yeah, you fucking heard me. Um, really, The Good Witch? Yeah, she's in a thousand movies, you guys. And, and was older in 1939. 60-ish, I'm guessing. Maybe even 70-ish. Well, there you are. Uh, maybe one more, and then we'll go. Thank you for that. That was a good... That was a cracker. Oh, we're just leaving you with the mic now, are we? I guess everyone who attends tonight's show receives a microphone from CineFamily. <laughs> and at the end of the year, uh, the sponsors of this place... You know, there's a couple of movie stars that really like it here. Uh, Charlie Sheen and... Um, I can't remember the other one. And uh, they, uh, they come and they do annual things at Christmas or anal things at Christmas or whatever it is, and it's... And I haven't decided on the Christmas movie yet, although um, Hayden reminded me that The Long Kiss Goodnight takes place at Christmas, as does Die Hard 1. Yeah. Uh, but I think Die Hard 1's shown on TV a lot. I don't know if I... You think we could fill it for that? The Ref. Which one? The Ref, yeah. I, 
I have a, um, uh, uh, what's his name? No, not Kevin Spacey. The, yeah. I, there's a, uh, I had a V-chip implanted in my brain. Uh, and it's, I have nothing against Dennis Leary. He's a nice person. Uh, but I, 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 no. From my cold, desiccated fucking grave with my moldering body festering on a fucking pool of ivy with a sprig of holly driven through my heart, as Scrooge said, will we show the ref? But thank you for that suggestion. It's, I'm sure it's a, it, it does take place at Christmas, and I think that's awesome. It's not that Dennis Larry. The Red Sox won the World Series. Don't you see what I'm going through here? He's one of those Red Sox guys that you have to fucking hear about every time the Red Sox win. They had him on Fox TV. No one here knows what sports are. Uh, it, you ever see Bull Durham or anything like that? Or Pride of the Yankees? That's what sports are, you fucking geeks. You know, sports where guys rape guys and get concussions and shit. It's fun. It's fun. It's what straight guys like. I know. I'm there in two weeks' time, you guys. The problem with Boston is there's a lot of people who want to pipe up over the Red Sox winning, and one of them is Dennis Leary, and he represents all white guys named Dennis that are patties uh, that are in Boston. And to reiterate something I said on the show a couple of weeks ago, Bill Russell, who is the uh, um, enormously talented and gifted intellectual center for the Boston um, Celtics team, uh, and won seven championships, I believe it was, and then coached, first black coach in the NBA and shit like that, received his statue in Boston three weeks ago, okay? He stopped playing in 1970 or whatever. Three weeks ago, they put up a statue to Bill Russell because he's a Negro, ladies and gentlemen. So that's sort of the problem I have. Uh, but are you saying everyone in Boston's like that every time? Surely every town has its problems. I mean, look at L.A. We have policemen shoot homeless people here for looking at them cross-eyed. That's different. We're awesome. <laughs> Go to a Dodgers game. There's a lot of Latino guys. There's very few guys named Dennis going fucking Azul, brohaim. If you have to stand in a bar and listen to someone go, Socks! That's all I'm saying. That's why I'm not showing the ref. Or Demolition Man, for that matter. Yeah. Too many fucking Red Sox fans up in my dick. I don't need it. I don't fucking need it. And Yankee fans, too, but then that's just, you know, then you can't show anything. All right, mate, one more, and then I... Sorry about the sports breakout, you guys. Well, next time we'll talk about graphic novels or something that you... Or living at home or whatever you guys are into. Never being inside other people. <laughs> shit you guys know shit about. Different kinds of candy that you keep in a collection in your wall and whatnot. All right, I'm coming down a little hard. I had your goodwill before, and now I'm just shit on that, but it really doesn't matter. Are we going to have one? Or... Uh, oh, there you are. Hi, how are you? Thank you for coming tonight. You guys are great. I was, uh, I was wondering if you... I like to flip it around Stockholm Syndrome style. <laughs> You saw the movie. This is necessary for your training. When you leave here, everyone is going to be issued a Beretta. And across the street in that crappy parking lot where you had to park, you're going to have to assassinate someone in a white Ford Tahoe. want you to know that. For those of you going to the counters, inside your sandwich when you open it up tonight, yeah, yeah, there's going to be a little note in your chocolate fucking chip racetrack that you buy. Think about it. You have to go to the kibitz room and do a guy with a fucking piece of ice. 
because then the ice melts and no one can tell you you stabbed them with it. Just a little trick. Yes, what was your... I forgot my question, actually. That is our code word. If anyone else says that to you tonight, you know exactly what to do. This has been the Greg Proofs Film Club. Thank you very much for coming out tonight with Paul Makita. Next time at Christmas, we're really going to show What's Up Dog or Help or some fucking movie. Thank you very much. Goodbye.